0: This is the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best tips and strategies in the world to help you become a smarter, more effective tennis player. You'll hear interviews with Pro Tour doubles players and coaches, including easy to use lessons to improve your game and win more matches. My name is Will Bocek, founder of the Tennis Tribe, doubles strategy coach, and host of the show. In today's lesson, You're going to hear an interview with top 10 WTA doubles player Gabby Dabrowski. Gabby is a two-time mixed doubles Grand Slam champion, 2019 Wimbledon finalist, and an Olympic athlete for Canada. All right, so hello everyone. Welcome to our second interview in the uh, Tribe Talk interview series. Today we have Gabby Dabrowski. She is the number seven doubles player. In the world right now. Um, she's won two Grand Slam uh, mixed doubles crowns. Uh, she's an, an Olympian. Gabby, welcome.
1: Thanks. Happy to be here.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, the reason I had you on is uh, last week I saw on Twitter um, a reaction to, uh, I guess it's Marion Bartoli. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but um, uh, her comments on doubles versus singles and I saw you you had like a 10-part Twitter thread uh on what it's like to be a doubles player on tour and um you even had some double strategy in there and and how it's a lot different than singles and talking about prize money and things like that um so I wanted to just start with that and then a little bit later we'll get into um your upbringing with tennis and how you got into doubles and so on. And then I'll ask you some kind of rapid fire questions at the end, but let's start with the Twitter thread. Um, So, uh, you know, we're not here to like bash any Bartoli or anything like that, but um, it seemed like she was kind of upset and she said some, some things uh, that it seems like just weren't even true. Um, But where were you when you read this? Um, Take us through kind of your mindset when you read it and your, your reaction to the whole thing.
1: Um yeah, it was brought to my attention um, last week, and I didn't have time to really think of like a reply straight away. so I slept on it, but I actually woke up like in the middle of the night at four am to go to the bathroom and then I just like wrote everything <laughs> oh, wow. and uh, yeah, and it just kind of poured out of me and um then the next day I kind of refined it a little bit and uh, I thought of sharing it i uh, I just you know, it might not be her fault. I just think she was incredibly misinformed. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, she, maybe she saw some players that play doubles and she saw a lot of people around them at a tournament and thought that, oh, wow, they they're, they're making enough money to travel with a team of six people. And that's just not, like you said, that's just not true. And it doesn't happen. Like a right. country might send a bunch of coaches or fitness trainers, physios, massage therapists to work with all of their players, but sure. it's never just one. So, um, yeah, I just, I really thought it was important that if anybody had heard Marion say those things that they would, you know, be able to then think about it and say, okay, maybe that's not totally the case. Um, right. let me get to the bottom of this. Um, because obviously, you know, she's a Wimbledon champion and so she has a voice, she has influence. And, uh, so when somebody like that says something <laughs> uh, that was a little bit ignorant, I think it's important to address it.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. That's funny. So the, um, yeah, a lot of like, you know, when I'm like writing for my blog, a lot of my best ideas, I like wake up in the middle of the night like that and be like, yeah. Oh my God, this is it. I got to get it down on paper. So that's yeah. funny. You you say that. Um, so, uh, so you wrote this and then you decided to share it on Twitter and it's gone, um, kind of semi viral, at least as far as, uh, tennis Twitter goes. Um, and a lot of players have retweeted it and liked it and things like that. Um, w- as far as this like singles doubles dynamic, and, and I'm asking really for myself as much as anybody, because I, I don't know and I don't, um, you know, I, I do a lot more writing than I do reading and like listening to podcasts as far as the the tennis tour goes. Um, what is the vibe on tour as far as like singles versus doubles and and pay and like, you know, you mentioned some things about singles players getting priority on practice courts and all this stuff. Um, give us kind of a high level overview of, of what that's like.
1: I mean, there, there are so many different factors that mm-hmm. go into the uh, lack of respect that doubles players receive. Like I mentioned about the practice courts, we don't have the priority, Um players who play predominantly singles always have priority for the best time slots and the amount of time that you have on court, um, could be from even badges at tournaments. You'll get, if, if you get like if you can put two people on your, or if you can put, let's say three people on your badge as a singles player, you can only put two people on your badge as a doubles player. Like that happens sometimes. What, what does um, that mean?
0: What is your, your badge?
1: So, so basically like your accreditation and then oh, you're yeah. like allowed okay. a certain amount right. of people to come into the tennis venue under your right. name. Right. Um, so if you have a coach, then that's one. <clears throat> if you have parent or a friend that lives in the area and their friend, like whoever's just there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Sometimes we get less as doubles players. The only advantage in some slams is if you're a seated doubles player, then you get one more. So it's sort of better. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. So things like that. Um, obviously the prize money discrepancy is massive, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: on the flip side, like I understand it in a way because and this is; these are the things that I'm fighting for: is for doubles to have more exposure, more promotion. How to achieve that? Uh, obviously, like there's been a ton of even positive responses to what I wrote, kind of confirming for me that there is a big market for doubles that we're just mm-hmm. not tapping into. So even when you go in, even when the the tour, the governing bodies go into their broadcasting deals, you know they're not really. Doubles is not on their radar. They don't really care what they broadcast for doubles. Therefore, the tournament has no reason to show it on TV. They have no reason to put it on a bigger court that's televised. All these things play a Mm -hmm. factor. Um, And then, of course, how can you argue for more prize money when not a lot of people are watching you play or you don't have airtime um, to even try to get some kind of following behind it? Um, so yeah, there are a lot of sort of issues with that. And, uh, this year we, we had like sort of a a general plan of how to try to increase doubles exposure and, and tell our stories to get to know us because, you know, for me personally, once some people get to know me, they want to watch me. It doesn't matter what I'm playing singles at a, at a 25 K or doubles finals of Wimbledon. They, they just want to watch me because they know me and they like me, and they want to support me. But how are you supposed to get to know me if I'm never out anywhere? You know, how is anybody supposed to get to know the doubles girls when their stories aren't being told? So, I mean, <laughs> there's right. a lot that goes into it.
0: Yeah, it's a complex issue. Um, yeah. So so it seems like there's the, the people running the tournaments, right, these, I guess, governing bodies, um, and they are focusing... Um, and this might include like the TV deals and things like that. And they seem to focus mostly on the singles players. That's where most of the prize money goes. Um, Which is I, I think, uh, Yeah. But but as a result of that, it's kind of this like self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but it's like because they get all the exposure, they get the fans. Like I was in, in Australia a few months ago and – I loved it selfishly for myself because I could go to any doubles court and get a front row seat and just sit there and watch. And it was amazing. Like I was watching some of this semi and and quarterfinal matches and I was just right there on top of the court. Um, But I also like looked around and I was sitting there on court three for one of the matches. And I was like, there's like a hundred people here. And this is a quarterfinal match with like all top 20 players. Like this is unbelievable. Um, So there's that. And then what about, like the players, so, so I can tell that the organizations, um, I guess for lack of a better word, aren't respecting doubles as much, but do, uh, I feel like a lot of the singles players have started to play doubles again a little more maybe. Um, it, do you feel like at the tournament you're in like a separate group being a primarily a doubles player or do you feel like you're kind of with the singles players just, you know, as a tennis player at the tournament?
1: I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the same locker rooms and everything, all that's the same. Mm -hmm. That's not really the issue. You know, I don't necessarily feel, um, disrespect from my peers. It's not that, uh, it's just the entirety of it, the culmination of everything that goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, when singles players play doubles, usually their, their game improves, you know, you can work on coming to the net, you work on your feel stuff like that. Um, you can have fun because it's a little bit more, um, you know, the teamwork aspect of it is fun. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's like such a nice yeah. dynamic of it. Um, yeah, I mean, like. I heard also, you know, some of the tennis greats talking about, well, what do you do about prize money and how should it be distributed? And, and they think that the prize money shouldn't necessarily go up, but they want more singles players playing doubles. And I agree with that to a certain extent. Um, we have an issue where a top name will play one match, win, and then pull out. Right. And this happens a lot. And this mm-hmm. is one of the things that us doubles players are fighting for is like, if you've earned your spot, it's not a problem. Do what you want. You've played enough matches. We see that with all the teams, Strickova and Sue, Babos Smodanovich, Mertin Sabalenka, on and on, right? Amazing singles players, but at the same time, amazing doubles players. But they've earned their place. They kicked everyone's ass and they're there. Good for you. Right. But you have some, some singles players that obviously, which I know, they've said, I'm playing doubles so that I get an extra match on the court so I can feel the court better because a lot of tennis fans don't know this, but even when we play on the hard court season, the hard courts are different every week. They're faster, they're slower. Sure. Uh, the conditions are different. The balls are different. So they want more matches on the court. And the doubles, instead of a practice match, the doubles match gives them some real pressure so they can feel you know, feel things like it's sure. more real. But then mm-hmm. if they end up winning that match, uh, then they pull out. Uh, if yeah. they're still in the tournament or if they want to get to the next one, sometimes the tournament hasn't even started and they are, they've are they already pulled out if they've lost in singles. Um, so these sorts of things happen happen a lot. And so our argument was... So play more doubles, start at the 250,000s, the internationals, build your way up, but they don't want to do that. They just want a free place in the high tournaments because they feel they're entitled to because they're high in singles. Right. And so for me, I have a problem with that because um, it's like you haven't earned your spot. So it's a very tricky situation. Um,
0: yeah. And that kicks somebody else out of the draw, right?
1: Exactly. It's like Some a doubles babies. player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe somebody who's 40, 45, 50 in the world in doubles can't get into a premier tournament because the draws are sometimes not big and, and they just get shafted, but they're really good. And they play like more, probably more like real doubles and something that I think a lot of the fans would want to see because then they can take that back to, you know, their leagues and their home clubs and stuff like that and apply what they learned, um, in that way, you know, There are a lot of great singles players that play doubles, but there are also some that are focused a lot more just, you know, on hitting the ball as hard as they can, which can work. But a really good doubles team is able to neutralize that power and make you really uncomfortable in different ways. So this is the thing, like, for me, doubles is just a different game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you can't really compare the two in terms of tennis. Like, it's just True. not – it's just they don't mesh so easily.
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Um, one thing you mentioned is, uh, y'all had, I I guess a lot of doubles players got together and created kind of a plan for this year. Is that what you said?
1: Um, well, I, I took a lot of feedback. Um, like Mm -hmm. I was elected onto player council. Okay. So that has allowed me to learn like a lot about stuff that happens behind the scenes, but also Mm -hmm. marketing things that we've been working on and how can we fit doubles into that? So, from all the feedback I received and all the ideas I received, I was passing them on to the people that could, you know, try to make it happen. Um, Yeah. So we were, we were working on different things. Some of it has been put on the back burner because a lot of the initiatives would have been on site at a tournament. uh, Mm -hmm. Whereas now we are relying solely on social media. So.
0: Sure. Okay. Got it. What what were some of those initiatives? Can you share or?
1: Yeah, I mean, we wanted to get closer to the fans. We wanted people to hear our stories, get to know us. We wanted to do some doubles clinics. We wanted to interact with the sponsors more. We wanted to have a media day where the media can get involved with us as doubles players, whether that's on court or off. Um, We wanted to do some filming, do some like tips and tricks for doubles, like from doubles players to the fans who play doubles, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that would do super well. Um, just well, we, like I
1: was hoping, I was hoping because that's the thing: if those sorts of initiatives gain enough popularity, then I can say we deserve more prize money. But until right. we gain the popularity, I cannot argue for that. You know, right?
0: So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're thinking about it the right way, though. the um, The thing you said earlier, where like somebody gets to know you and then they go watch you. So, yeah. so I, I grew up in uh, in Memphis and we had a, a Memphis, Tennessee, and we had a tournament there. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I don't know how big it was, like a 250 maybe or something. Um, I think. Yeah, I played there. And uh, yeah, and I like, I ball boyed for it growing up when I was younger. Yeah. And we had this kid's day and the Bryans always showed up. And like, and this was early in their career, probably like 2000.
1: Right. Um,
0: and everybody always watched. Uh, and, and they still do, but everybody always watched the doubles matches um, with the Bryans because they always showed up to kids day and all the kids just loved it. Like they made, they made it entertaining and all this stuff. And I can totally see that working like at any tournament, you know, if, if y'all got out there and um, not only gave tips and things like that, but have the kids out on the court play and just call yep. it like a doubles day or something like that. that that's definitely. definitely a really yeah. good idea.
1: The U.S. Open has had, like, a kids' doubles day the last two years. And I think it's been mm-hmm. a good turnout. Like, the kids seem to have a lot of fun. And our personalities were, were able to come out, joke with the kids, stuff like that. So that was nice. Sure. You know.
0: Yeah, and then the kids just saying, all I want to do is, is you know, go watch Gabby play doubles. So <laughs> I think that would definitely work. Um, so let's talk about uh, the current year. So um, you're at a career high, right, number seven in the world right now? Um, you made the quarters of the Aussie Open, Uh, you've made two finals this year, Um, and then this whole coronavirus thing hits and and everything kind of gets shut down. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you kind of talk us through the beginning to kind of where we are now?
1: I mean, I'm pleased with the start for sure, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially like the, the first tournament of the year that I played in Adelaide. I was playing with one of my good friends, but we hadn't played together in a long time, so to reach the finals was... A good result. And uh, yeah, losing in the quarters in three sets wasn't my best day. That was a tough loss, but I feel like we learned a lot from that, took it into Doha and then improved. And then actually it was too bad. I was really looking forward to Indian Wells to playing with Aliona because we had learned a lot from our final loss in Doha. We had a really good heart to heart after and talked about a lot of things. And so I was really looking forward to trying again and to implementing, mm-hmm. you know, what we learned in that situation going forward. So it was kind of too bad uh, to like kind of lose that sort of momentum, I guess, in a way. But I mean, it is what it is. Like the world situation is just crazy right now with literally everything. It's one thing after another.
0: Right. Right. What have you been doing? Have you been able to play some or training a lot or
1: yeah, like what's your I'm schedule lucky, looked like? Yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky to be in Florida. So we've had obviously really good yeah. weather. Um, I do fitness five, sometimes six times a week. I can play if I want. I played like a sort of money tournament a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But for me, the weather's getting a little bit too hot and the format was tough. It was like two matches a day. And I would just lose my whole day. And quite frankly, right now I'm doing a summer school course, which is like six weeks and it's like condensed. So for me, it's, it's like a lot of work. Cause I don't, I don't work that quickly. And then we have player council responsibilities and I'm trying to stay in shape and take care of all that. So I'm not really interested in overdoing the tennis side right now. We still have many months before, not many, but several months, at least for now before we play. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not really pushing the tennis side of it. I'm, i'm more focused on just keeping in shape and staying healthy and keeping my mind fresh because once we start up again it's going to be a grind again we're going to go 10 11 months out of the year on tour so it's you know i'm kind of enjoying enjoying this break
0: yeah nice um this money tournament is it singles or doubles or
1: it's singles yeah so i played singles um it's, yeah, basically it's, it's kind of like a round robin format and there are like 16 girls in a week and you kind of just play each other and there's not, I don't even know if they're counting like a winner at the end of the week, but it's just a way for girls to make some money and uh, just be able to play some matches uh, right. while, while we're on a break. So I think it's a good thing. The format's a little bit too tough. I think, especially with how human and hot it's getting here, like every day it's you know, like in the nineties and, and human. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really rough, especially if you don't have the proper like physio and recovery sort of system around you.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm in Austin, Texas. So it's been like the nineties here every day too. And I've, I've tried to play a few times and it's, it's hard. Uh, I, I kind of quit. I kind of give up after about an hour. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Um, cool. And then you said you're taking a course. Is this unrelated to tennis?
1: yeah school so I'm trying to okay. start my uh undergrad I'm just doing like general nice. studies now like all the basic courses that I need to complete
0: nice cool um so I, I wanted to talk about um I-, I don't know a whole lot about it but th- I mean tell us about your your upbringing like how- how'd you get started in tennis um I imagine you played singles a lot growing up and then you've transitioned to doubles at some point. Um, sounds like you're still playing some singles, but, uh, yeah, just talk about like your upbringing and then how you got to the pro tour.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I started when I was seven and nobody in my family played tennis. It was kind of a fluke. I was, um, uh, it was the summer when I was seven and both my parents uh, were working. And so one of my dad's best friends from, um, she's Polish, but she was living in Paris at the time. She came over uh, to babysit me, basically. And um, and she brought her son and her son was like three years older. So throughout the summer, we were just hanging out, doing stuff. But then eventually we kind of got bored of what we were doing and we looked for something new. And there was a park down the street and so we got some rackets and we just started to try to play (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh just try to hit the ball back and forth if we could and then um it was recommended to my dad that that he put me in lessons and he didn't honestly at that point he didn't even know that like i had been playing really and uh i had some good hand-eye coordination i was sort of naturally athletic very lucky that way and i just picked it up pretty quickly and then Mm -hmm. In the fall, school started, but you take a lesson like thirty minutes a week for a little bit, and then it's like an hour a week, a little, and then more and more and more and more, and it just keeps going. Uh, so then, when I was like twelve, um, we started looking uh, outside of Canada for training places, and Florida was like a growing hub for where sure. to come and and you know develop your tennis game. And we kind of saw, saw some different academies around Florida and landed on Saddlebrook and loved Saddlebrook the most because it was the most chilled out, the most kind of like family vibe. Um, and you had unbelievable pros training. You had Martina Hingis, Justine Hennon, the Bryan brothers, um, James Blake. Azarenka was like still transitioning. I think she was like maybe 17 or 18, like mm-hmm. starting her breakthrough. So. It was an amazing place for like, you know, a young teenager to to come and train. And so then I was here for a while and obviously still played juniors for till I was 18 and then mixed in pro tournaments as well during that time. And then after I was 18, I just went pro full time. Um, And then financially struggled. Um, I I don't come from a very wealthy family, so there kind of came a breaking point uh, and, uh, in tennis, you, you really need to have a coach with you, especially when you play singles, it's really hard to mm-hmm. go it alone. And, uh, my dad worked with me for many years. Uh, he kind of taught himself tennis when it tennis became, became serious. You know, he read all the books, watched all the videos, watched all the matches on TV and just kind of educated himself, which was wonderful in many ways. Uh, it saved us a lot of money. Uh, but then on the flip side also, it's hard to have your dad as a coach and it's hard to always travel with a parent. Yeah. Um, but I was always really cared for. That's one thing that, that having a parent that's there with you, at least you feel safe. Uh, well, at least for me, I did maybe, maybe some kids don't, but you know, I didn't have to worry about, uh, coach being inappropriate, which is a lot, you know, you hear of that. And so at least I was safe. And, um, yeah. So then in my early twenties, like I said, there just came a point where money was running thin and I was then traveling on my own couldn't afford a coach. So then it was like, what do I do? And I had been doing really well in doubles. Uh, like if, if I played an ITF, let's say 50,000, cause there are 50 thousands at the time. If I lost in the first or second round in singles, I would be like finaling doubles or winning doubles pretty mm-hmm. consistently like that. And so it just kind of clicked in me where it's like, well, either I kind of give up my dream completely or I sort of swallow my ego and swallow my pride and put doubles as a priority and see if I can make it because obviously yeah. I'm as a tennis players to play grand slams and play in the Olympics and stuff like that. So I had those goals too. And then I just realized that the way to try to make a living out of tennis was to be as good of a doubles player as, as I could be. And that's what I tried to do. And luckily enough, I I'm doing that. So
0: Nice. What, what what do you think? Um, what, like when you're kind of making this decision, what, why do you think you naturally became better at doubles? Like, do you feel uh, like your
1: my game style? Yeah. Um, I loved ever since I started playing. I loved running to the net. That was yeah. something that I always loved to do, okay. and so it was just a natural tendency for me to want to. Folly and I love mm-hmm. slices and drop shots and lobs. Um, I love to win a match by, you know, outsmarting my opponent. You know, right. I could handle pace, I could use pace well. I wasn't always able to create it very well on my own, mm-hmm. but um, it was like the finesse and that side is, I found it more fun to do that. In the long term, maybe it wasn't the best thing for my tennis development because I never really got that really, really solid foundation of being very aggressive from the baseline. So to even use my finesse, I didn't have that first weapon to open up the court for me like that and then use it. It's something Mm -hmm. I'm consistently working on, not right now, but like before the break and I will keep working on it when I go back to tennis. But um, yeah, so then in doubles, you can use those skills a lot more. Than you can in singles <clears throat>
0: right
1: and of course the way that the games developed even on grass now the grass for me last year felt like it was slower than than french open like it was you know so the grass is not even playing like real grass anymore which i think you can also see with the types of people that are that are doing well and going deep in slams it could be you know a simona halep or barbara strickova who are you know not necessarily the power players of the tour, but they're incredibly smart. They're incredibly consistent they're incredibly physical so they can last and move you around the court and break your game down that way. So yeah, it's just, uh, it's, I wish the grass was playing like it was, you know, 20 years ago. That would be really yeah. fun for me, but yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, the evolution, I guess. For yeah.
0: Me. I saw, um, I think this was, Probably sometime in the last six months, I saw a graph on the uh, speed of quartz surfaces. Did you see this? And it was like, I didn't, but what it was over that? like the last 30 years or something like that, and how they've kind of slowly merged to like all become slightly closer. Um, so usually, it used to be, you said grass was like a lot faster 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so they it's this graph that kind of moves up and down like that. Mm-hmm. Um at a certain point, I guess it was like late two thousands or something, they all kind of start to merge a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Um so I d I don't know. I thought that was interesting, that like came to mind when you said that.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. I um, wonder why the governing bodies of tennis decided to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know.
1: I'm not saying um, it's good or bad one way or the other. I'm just curious as to sure. what was thought process behind it
0: right right or maybe it just happened maybe they didn't even know what they were doing I feel like that's the case a lot of the time
1: that could definitely be it as well
0: (laughs) um so a couple other things so you talked about you've had a few different doubles partners this year um Mm -hmm. now I like I said I live in Austin Texas and I play these like local USTA tournaments around Texas and uh obviously it's a completely different level but I play with, like, all sorts of different partners, and I always, like, imagined on the pro tour, you'll have some sort of, like, system for choosing partners or something like that. But maybe that's not true. How does that work? Like, how do you decide who you're playing with uh, on any given tournament?
1: Uh, I mean, usually we can choose. Usually we have the freedom to choose. Sometimes if your ranking is not high enough to get in with maybe somebody you want to play with, then you'll Mm. have to look for somebody with a higher ranking, not necessarily somebody your game style will match with. Mm. Um, Sometimes not, not often, but sometimes like your tennis federation might say, Oh, Hey, going into like an Olympic year, we want you to play some tournaments with this person from, you know, our country so that you can get ready for it. Sometimes that happens as well, but most Mm -hmm. of the time we have the freedom to choose who we want.
0: Got it. Okay. And you said, um, so this will be a good transition into like some strategy. You said uh, finding somebody your game style will match up with. who? Yeah. What type of game matches up best with you? I guess if you're at the net a lot, maybe a power baseliner or something.
1: Yeah. If if, if like for someone like me and Aliona, when we're both clicking, I feel like that's the best combination because mm-hmm. she can set me up really well at the net And I can make her um, power more effective by making the court feel smaller for the opponents, making them change direction, maybe on the wrong shot, maybe making them go for too much, uh, just basically making them uncomfortable and feeling like they don't have a lot of space to hit into. On my best day, that's what I feel I'm doing. There are times when I'm hesitant, not sure what to do. Maybe I'm lacking a little belief that day. Then it's not as effective. Uh, and same with Aliona, if she is able to volley at, you know, 50%, that can be good enough. But if she's struggling with her volleys on a certain day, then, you know, we're also like a little bit behind. So it just really depends. Um, like she will set me up with power and then I will be able to finish off the point sooner than just having her rally cross court, you know, 10 times in a row trying to beat the person with pace. Like my job is to intercept a volley, is to fake, make somebody think where they're going to hit. On the flip side, I mean, I played with uh, Shu Yifan for a few years and we had some pretty good results as well. And we have sort of similar game styles in a way like, um, you know, we're both not the most powerful players, but we have good hands, we have good feel, we volley well. Um, She was a lefty, so that would make, you know, add a little element of, like, trickiness to it. So it kind of all depends what you're comfortable with. You know, and I also want to just point out that, like, at a high level, and I'm sure also at a recreational level, like, men's doubles is different than women's doubles. There are certain, like, in the men's doubles game, you'll have a lot of really fast points just because they can serve harder. So Mm -hmm. the men's positioning will be different than what the women's positioning will be, so that's just if like somebody's watching men's doubles and women's doubles, they'll notice discrepancies. And just because women don't have usually as big of a serve as a man, we'll get into more rallies, and the rallies will be a bit longer. Um, right. So it's just it just kind of all depends.
0: Interesting. So um, yeah, the other thing I notice, like uh, when I'm creating like a, a double strategy article or, or video or something like that. You know, I, I write it for myself and I've, um, when, when I'm, and I'll have players come up to me at tournaments um, and some sometimes they're women's doubles players who are uh, maybe like five and a half feet tall or even shorter and I'm six feet tall. So it's like, I talk about all these things like at the net, just like, you know, be everywhere, but sometimes they like literally just can't reach the ball. You know, they right. can't cover as much area at the net, which right. is another huge aspect. I, I think um, when I was reading your bio earlier, you're like five ten or something. So you're pretty tall. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that's a huge thing as well.
1: Yeah, that definitely makes a difference too, for sure. Um, and then you have to tailor the strategy to what the person is able to do, which Mm -hmm. is easier if you're working one-on-one with them or with just a small group of people, but it's, yeah. So I guess you need, different strategies for all the different sort of heights and sizes and everything. <laughs>
0: sure. So, so how do you game plan going into a given match? Do you work with your partner and, and focus mostly on, on your side of the net and say, Hey, let's do these things. Or are you um, focusing on, you know, okay, today we're playing against Shay uh, or, or whoever it might be. And we know that these are her strengths and weaknesses and, and we need to attack here. Or there's some combination of the two. How does that work? Yeah,
1: yeah. There's a combo of the two. Um, it's 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 it really is both. It's not just looking at the opponents, and it's not mm-hmm. just looking at yourself. There is a combo. But at the same time, I will say that it's good to have an overall idea of the tendencies and patterns of what your opponents like to do.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: at the end of the day, if you think too much about that when you're playing, you're gonna forget. Mm-hmm about your strengths and using them to win the match. And even if they're playing their best tennis, if you're playing your best tennis, you can still find a way to win. Mm -hmm. Um, Then sometimes during the match, you have to adjust a little bit. Uh, But Mm -hmm. again, that'll be, oh, I noticed she's done this a few times, so let's do this. But then even when you go to play a point, you're still gonna try to organize it around your strengths. So it's, Yeah.
0: Do you watch a lot of film or anything like that? Or is it mostly just we've um, do, played yeah. them enough? and?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, there are some teams I've played a lot and I'm pretty familiar with it. But either mm-hmm. I watch or I'll have my dad watch or another coach watch and see if they're seeing something that <clears throat> I'm missing. Because mm-hmm. that happens sometimes too. Or I'm like, oh, I didn't notice she was doing that. Good to know. <laughs> um, but yeah.
0: Got it. Okay. And then what about, like, on the court? You said you're, you're kind of changing your strategy during the match. This is something um, I've personally worked on a lot over the past few years, and I, I'm always trying to think of, like, better questions I can ask myself, and I'm trying to tell that to my readers. Um, you know, like, people, uh, the example I always use is people get so frustrated when they end the point off, like, a missed overhead or something like that. But I I tell them like, you know, if you played that point 10 times over, you win it probably nine out of 10 times. You just missed the overhead that one time. So keep playing that way and you'll, you know, you'll probably win the match. Um, But how do you think about that on the court? How do you talk with your partner? What sort of questions do you kind of ask yourself to strategize?
1: Yeah, well, I definitely agree with the example you gave. If you've had some kind of sitter or put away and you've missed it, I would not dwell on that because like you said, that means played that point almost perfectly. So if you keep, you know, trying to emulate that over and over, you'll get your chance. It'll come. So don't be mm-hmm. discouraged if you miss that easy ball because everybody misses those sometimes. Um, it's more, a, it's, it's just, a analyzing what's going on. Some matches you'll be cruising and you won't need to make too many changes. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll only need to adjust if the opponents adjust and do something else. And then you'll be like, oh, they're starting to do this now. Just watch out for that. It might be a small thing like, oh, they're starting to play down the line more. Maybe we cover a little bit more. But in general, you still want to take your aggressive position. In doubles, the beauty of doubles is there's a, there's a lot you can do when you're down and things that you can throw at your opponent. You can stand in different places. You can call plays where you're switching. You can serve an I or Australian formation to if they're returning really big and you want to try to give them a different look. like that's what I love about doubles is like, you really can exhaust like all of the options. (laughs) Sometimes matches go quickly. And like for us, I don't love the format we play with like no ad and super tiebreaker. Like I generally like a longer format. I'm used to the one that we play now, which is okay. I'm used to it, Mm
0: -hmm. but sometimes
1: things go really quickly. So you have to be ready to adjust earlier in the match because it's times like sort of times running out a little bit, you know? Right. Yeah.
0: Um, a couple other questions here. So, what is your kind of go-to strategy as a doubles player? Like you said, you'll usually have something you go into a match with, um, focusing on yourself. Are you like it's just serve and volley, and you just take over the middle of the court, or? Um,
1: um. Yes, it depends who I'm playing with and what they're also comfortable doing. Like I'm not gonna okay. tell, like if I'm at the net and Aliona's at the net. I know I'm covering the middle, you know, like I'm not going to say to her, look for the ball going through the middle because I know that as a predominantly singles player, she's not as just her eye is not trained to do that. And she's not trained with her movements to be in a certain position to take that ball away, to cut Mm -hmm. off the angle. Uh, So you need to adjust it. But like when I was playing with my other partner, we knew who was getting what lob and when um, the type of shot if I was closing in, then she would stagger and, and take a, like we both wouldn't be on top of the net. Let's put it that way. Someone was kind of always moving back and someone was always kind of moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of playing with somebody who, who does play doubles for a living is because they understand those positions. Uh, but for me, I mean, I, I do love to be at the net and come forward. I wouldn't say I serve in Bali and in, like a lot, Um, It's something Mm -hmm. that I'm working on because I always found that when I'm serving and volleying, sometimes I struggle getting into like, like the service line or just inside the service line fast enough to catch a ball that's high enough. I, I, sometimes I serve and volley and I'm too slow out of the blocks and I can't make it that far in. And then I'm trying to hit a volley that's on my shoelaces, which is like, you can do that sometimes, but all the best doubles players you see somebody like Jamie Murray, I mean, he's getting so far in, therefore he's always hitting a volley at waist height, you know, or a yeah. little bit. That so that's actually one of my favorite drills to do is like a serve and volley drill and just pick up that first volley and see how close I can get in. Um, but I mean, in general, start out aggressive and go from there. Sometimes maybe you will you'll not make enough returns. Like in doubles, it's not great to give away a lot of free points. Um, mm-hmm because of our format and how quick things go. So, you know, if I'm missing too many returns, I'll adjust and, and I'll try to make more I'll maybe use more chip lobs, um, maybe work more on the accuracy rather than the pace, like just different things sure. also depends on the opponents. Like it's just, there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a complex game. Definitely more so yeah. than singles. Um, do you play the ad
1: side? I normally play the ad side, but with okay. Ariana I play on the do side.
0: Okay, why is that?
1: Uh she loves her backhand.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean
1: I like my backhand too, but um I mean we might switch. I don't know. I've just uh I I played on the ad side with almost everybody else.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: um yeah. With a left handed
0: player you'll usually do the ad side just to keep four hands in the middle? Or
1: yeah. But it was also, yeah. Four hands in the middle. Um, and also I think we both liked our backhand. So our backhand cross on a good day was very effective. Sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, it just depends. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have to be the same for everybody, right. uh, but, uh, it's whatever you think is going to work. And then also you can switch after the first set. If it's not working, you can change sides which is cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just curious. Yeah, I usually um, play the ad side as well. Yeah, but it's it's mostly because I like having a forehand volley in the middle. Um, yeah, because I, I don't play enough tennis to have a really strong backhand volley. So <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: no, that's I try def- to like hide yeah.
0: that as much as I can. <laughs>
1: no, that's actually a really good point, and uh, that's one of the reasons I also loved playing. Uh, doubles on the ad side for so long is Mm -hmm. because I love being able to move to my right at the net and stretch further and have that forehand volley which was more you know powerful and I was able to hit it off the court um with the backhand volley it's not as easy to you know to do that
0: yeah absolutely um so before I get into these uh rapid fire questions what can we do So, so the audience is mostly um uh, mostly club-level players, probably, you know, 3-0 up to like 4-5. or So, you know, they're not super competitive, but they play a lot of tennis. They love watching. Um, what can we do to support doubles more? Um, it, these are mostly doubles players that, that, that we're talking to here. Um, and I totally agree. It's, it's an untapped market, like you said. Um, it's what most people play at the recreational level. So what can we do um, to support more?
1: Well, I mean, if you want to try to get your voice heard, you can always write to the WTA, the ATP, the ITF, uh, the SLAMs, you know, you write to those governing bodies and then they start to listen if there's enough Mm -hmm. people that are saying it. Um, I think like I have people say it to me all the time, um, but you know, just coming from me as one person is not enough. Like if double still is not getting enough exposure within the next year or so, like probably we'll need to start some petitions or something like that. Try to just gain awareness. Um, I would also say not just write to the governing bodies, but also to broadcasters in your country, in your area, whatever it is. Like in Canada, it would be like TSN or Sportsnet and say, hey, we want to see more doubles on TV. And the more messages like that they get when they go and negotiate new deals and they can negotiate to have more doubles on TV. But right now, all the people in those sorts of positions of power don't think that doubles is that valuable. So they have no reason to show it more. So we Mm -hmm. need to show them that there's a reason. And then, you know, the the sort of tennis economy will follow what the market wants. Right. And I think also the more you start showing something, the more it can gain popularity because a lot of people that are not tennis fans, but just watch tennis, they watch what you tell them to watch in a way too, you know? And, and so you have sort of two sides there, the tennis fan that knows who they want to watch and knows what they're watching for. Um, yeah. Even writing like to the tennis channel or even to commentators and being like, you know, we need commentators that when a doubles match is shown, they're knowledgeable enough to break down the things that are going on on court so they can show doubles in the best light. And, yeah. and you know, know the players enough to tell our stories, because I find a lot there are times when commentators maybe aren't as knowledgeable about doubles and it's a general sort of commentary, which is fine. But I think for like the serious tennis fan that is really looking for that type of, um, content, then you need to get more specific and and they'll learn something really from, from watching those matches. Right. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's funny. There's so much opportunity there. And like one thing I noticed when I was in Australia a few months ago, um, I was in Melbourne at the tournament and then went to Sydney for a few days and came back. And when I was watching it in Sydney, especially like the early rounds, um, like round two and three of singles when doubles is starting, they uh, all of the TVs are showing uh, like Federer or Djokovic or Serena just wipe somebody off the court in singles. And there's all these other good matches, singles and doubles going on. Um, And I I don't know what it would take to do this, but um, this idea I had was like the – how the NFL has this, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but they've got this red zone network where, where you choose. Yeah. So they, um, you don't even choose. They like have somebody selecting all of the like big, uh, moments of the game. So like if a team is close inside the 20 yard line, they flip over automatically to that game. So you uh-huh. see like, so, so if it's like, okay, we've got a tiebreaker over here on the double score, we're going to go over here and then get you back to that match. Yeah. And they could you could watch like ten or twelve matches at once, just kind of flipping back and forth that's really um,
1: interesting.
0: I don't know anything about t v broadcasting, but I would love to see somebody implement something like that. Um,
1: yeah, I think that's really cool um and they could show uh, more
0: doubles too
1: for sure, even if it's just even if it's just that little bit, even if it's just a few points like a set sure. point something happens and it's cool, and they're like, for oh, it. and they'll maybe want to watch that match. I know when I'm um in in London for Wimbledon and BBC has oh press the red button and choose whichever court you want to watch like Mm -hmm. 90% of the time I'm watching not center court I'm I'm watching all the outside courts because usually those are the people that I know they're my friends or I care about them or I just you know it could be like two players that are ranked 60 70 in the world and they're grinding in the third set or something like that. And I'm like, wow, like I would much rather watch that battle because this match, like the win for them here is going to mean so much to them. Of like a qualifiers qualified and it's their first round, you know, and they're not on center court. So I think, um, that's an interesting concept too, but I like the red zone idea a lot. I'm going to bring it up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that I could do. I mean, I would definitely watch it. So, um, all right, so l- let's get into a couple of uh, kind of rapid-fire quick questions here. So what is your favorite uh, tennis book, if you've read some tennis books?
1: It's been a long time. I can tell you one book that I love now for sport. Uh, it's called mm-hmm. Thinking Body, Dancing Mind. and It's mm-hmm. about incorporating the Tao and Taoism in, in, into sport. So, like, every single chapter is about something different. could be about failure. Uh, success, persevere, like trying to persevere, fatigue, sure. and it has all these different like mantras that you can do, and these different sort of mindfulness tools that you can implement when you're feeling all these things. So it's not a book that you need to read like beginning to end, beginning to end. It's like you can just pick a chapter and be like, oh, this applies to me right now. Um, so it's not like a tennis specific book, but I've found it to be incredibly useful.
0: Cool, very cool. We'll link to that. Um... Hello. Uh, what is your favorite tournament?
1: To uh, Grand, go to? Slam, Grand Slam is the Australian Open. And mm-hmm. other than that, there was this uh, international in Bostad, Sweden. And then that's that's my favorite like WTA tournament. But they only have it as a 125 now. Um, but that was amazing. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, who's your favorite doubles partner you've played with?
1: Uh, doubles partner that I've played with? Um, I don't think I'm allowed. You don't, allowed have, to,
0: to you don't that. have to answer. That. <laughs> It'll get you in trouble.
1: Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> make anybody feel feel bad or anything. <laughs> okay,
0: um, no worries. Um, what is last question? What is a uh, a tennis related story that you've never told anyone? Um, Take your time.
1: Tennis related story that I've never told anyone. It
0: can be from growing up the Academy singles match doubles match. Uh,
1: When I was young here at Saddlebrook, I was, I'd been practicing beside Martina Hingis Mm -hmm. for a little while. And we were doing fitness in the same group, which was really cool. And then one day she asked if uh, we could practice. And we had like a three hour practice. And it was amazing. And the Bryan brothers were on the other court. And they asked somebody, or I, they asked somebody who then told my dad who was watching, or they asked my dad and then he told me. I can't remember. But basically, they were like, Who's that girl in the red hat that's playing with Martina? <laughs> She's good. And that's so that like made my whole like month. And so that's one story I don't think I've ever really told.
0: It's <laughs> awesome. That's a good story. It was,
1: cute. it was really cute.
0: That's cool. That is really cool. Um, awesome. So uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime, especially with the doubles stuff. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like
0: I said, the doubles audience, um, you know, I'm still, uh, still trying to grow and we definitely want to help the sport and do whatever we can um, yeah, so thanks for hopping like on to,
1: no yeah. problem I'd actually like to know you said like what can what can you know fans do to help grow doubles but also let us know like what do you want to see from content like what do you want as a fan as well right. so that we know more I was thinking of doing like a survey actually to try to get some feedback um,
0: sure yeah but, we can definitely do that I'll um yeah, if anybody's watching this, uh, reach out to me and I'll um, I'll get Gabby involved um, and and kind of forward on anything to her um, so that we can we can kind of help out. Great, um, cool. Well, yeah. Thanks again. Thanks everybody for watching, um, and we will uh, see you in the next interview. If you're a doubles player, you'll love our weekly doubles newsletter. Every Thursday, we send you doubles tips and strategies to help you improve your game and become a smarter player. When you sign up, you'll get a free 10-page guide on how to play with more confidence and dominate at the net in doubles. You can go to thetennistribe.com to sign up now.